For the past month, we've been considering the Soul Matters theme, Mystery, the practice of embracing life with humility and awe. Over the month, I've talked about how I see humility as the best approach to how we deal with our own ideas. For one thing, all of us are situated in particular places, particular times, and so it's difficult for any one of us to see all that much of the bigger picture of our world and our people. I've also discussed the difference between a fact and meaning. Reason and science are very good at finding measurable facts, but not so good at finding meaning. And I've insisted that meaning and purpose are what most human beings really need in order to embrace life. And I've talked about how liberal Protestantism in the United States has failed to generate much awe because of a focus on individual conscience rather than collective well-being. And I suspect that's a big part of the reason that the liberal side of Christianity is rapidly shrinking. Many Americans, especially educated Americans, are finding meaning and purpose way outside the walls of liberal Protestantism. I also trace the development of Pentecostalism and the charismatic conservative movement in the US as a reaction to the liberal abandonment of the poor and the uneducated, which comprises most of the US population after all. Yes, it's a contradiction, but liberal religions love the poor and the oppressed, but the poor and oppressed don't much like liberal religions. Today, as we wrap up a calendar year that's not gone the way most liberals, secular or religious would have liked, I think it's a good time to think about a recipe for humble pie and a way forward. It may be that American liberalism, again, both secular and religious, is itself the pieman in the old nursery rhyme, selling a pie that an increasing number of people can't afford. As I've said before, the health of any worldview is how willing the people who hold it are in considering its failures. So let's take a hard look at what we're doing and where we're at. Now, I recently learned a brand new marketing acronym. I must admit that I don't study marketing too much, but I thought this was pretty cool. LOHAS, L-O-H-A-S. That stands for Lifestyles of Health and Sustainability. Now, LOHAS are people who are interested in living healthy lives of personal development as they protect the environment work for social justice, and live sustainably. Does that sound like anyone you know? Does that sound like everyone you know? And if it does, you may have a little problem reading how reality is actually going. Despite the fact that LOHAs are a $500B billion market in the US, they, we, make up only 27% of the population, 27%. It is the LOHAs who can afford to buy organically grown and sustainably sourced foods. It is the LOHAs who are becoming 
these spiritual but not religious and exploring alternative philosophies and religions as we commune with nature and look to nonprofits for our social justice and our meaning and purpose. Now, I'm not being critical here. I'm being descriptive. I didn't figure this out, but somebody did, and it's a big business. Allow me to talk about one little piece of that Lojas puzzle. At Christmas, I drove down to my family farm in the southern part of Illinois, it's down by the Ohio River, and I visited a graveyard where some of my dead relatives are buried, my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather and one of my great-uncles. Now, the graveyard sits by a Cumberland Presbyterian Church, Cumberland Presbyterian Church. If you've lived in the North all of your life, you probably haven't heard of that. Now this church building is miles out in the country, but people still attend. They have a Sunday morning service, they have a Sunday night service, and a Wednesday evening service. Now all through the Ohio River Valley, there are small Cumberland Presbyterian congregations. And growing up, that was the only kind of Presbyterian I even knew existed. And many of my forebears were what we call CPs. The movement started in 1810, about 100 miles or so just to the south of my family farm. That movement was one of the early adaptations of European Protestantism to the realities of the poor, uneducated, rural life that faced people in this hemisphere. The defining characteristic of the Cumberland Presbyterian movement was its rejection of the mainline Presbyterian belief in predestination. That is meaning that God knows you're going to heaven or hell way before you're born and you have no choice in the matter, whatever you do. The Cumberland Presbyterians adopted a doctrine they called whosoever will. Whosoever will. Whosoever wills to be saved from hell can be saved from hell. It's a belief that an individual's free will could save them from eternal damnation. All you have to do is give your life to Christ. Now, think a moment. Why were poor backwoods Americans so enamored of the concept that they could change their destiny? The American poor and oppressed then, and I would say continuing into our own time, reject the predetermined hierarchies that the American middle class take for granted, along with the many privileges of social status and social safety nets. The Cumberland Presbyterian split was born in a small log cabin in Tennessee. That's still the symbol of the, uh, of the uh, tradition, it's a dog trot a cabin, if you're not from the south. Dog trot means it's got some space in the middle for the dog to trot, right? <laughs> what an invention, right? That's, that, that is its symbol anyway. Um, and I think it's the archetype maybe for the left, right, and liberal conservative split in both American religion and in American politics. Cumberland Presbyterianism told Simple Simons to forget about what that pieman had to say. Simon could have a piece of the pie even if he didn't have a penny. It told Simon that he could catch a whale in a bucket, gather fruit from a thorn bush, and gather water in a sieve. No, 
not in this life, but in the next one. As the old hymn puts it, I'm just going over Jordan, I'm just going over home. Heaven is where we belong in this tradition. In that land far away, all your wishes will be fulfilled and even beggars will ride horses. One of that, another thing that goes with that simple Simon is the old British saying, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Well, in this tradition, they do, in the world far away. The principalities and the powers of the world are broken in the afterlife. Now, as I walked through that cemetery, I noticed a very prevalent Bible verse on the tombstones. Anyone have a guess? Any, any lovers of old 18th, 19th century uh, cemeteries in the South? It's John 14.2, reporting the words of Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking my family didn't see those as log shacks, those mansions up in heaven, right? Now, I have to admit it, I really like being a lojas. I sort of like living a healthy life. I do like living a life of personal development. And yeah, I believe in protecting the environment, working for social justice, and living sustainably. Those are sort of the UU and humanist values, aren't they? We ask the pieman if the ingredients are organic and fair trade, don't we? <laughs> but it's important to remember that most people in our nation and on our planet can't afford to do that. Never have, and if I have a crystal ball, never will. There's two recipes for humble pie, by the way. You can look it up. I'm gonna post it on Facebook. But uh, one of them is, uh, has raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and fresh peaches. Yum, right? That one kind of humble pie. The other kind of humble pie, the one the old saying is based on, is actually umbles pie. The H is not pronounced. It's a meat pie that was cooked up by the poor in medieval Britain. It's made from venison innards, hog guts, sheep guts, the sort of things poor people eat, you know, the medieval equivalent of chitlins and chorizo and pickled pig's feet. Now, that's the source of that old saying, too, eating high on the hog. When you eat high on the hog, you can live a life of sustainability and health and personal growth. You eat low on the hog, and chances are you have type 2 diabetes. Then, you've got people like me who got lucky and became lojas who, you know, I slip out once in a while and have my biscuits and gravy and my spassifrad chicken. The failure of Americans to talk with each other goes a lot farther back than that 2016 election. It goes all the way back. The biggest difference, besides the idea of free will, between the Cumberland Presbyterians and the mainline Presbyterians, the liberal ones, was one thing. Mainline Presbyterians required their ministers to have an education. That's why Presbyterians have universities and colleges everywhere. The Cumberland Presbyterians didn't even want their ministers to have an education. After all, educated preachers are going to tell you that you can't catch a whale in a bucket. But for many, many people, if you can't catch a whale in a bucket, what do you have? 
So early on in this nation, there were lots of narratives out there, and unfortunately, those were often contradictory and continue into our own time. Yes, there were proto lojas out there, but the biggest demographic was a marketing niche that doesn't get marketed to all that much, the LTPs, the long-term poor. The poor European immigrant was finally free of government restraint when they got out there to Tennessee, Kentucky, and the Ohio River Valley. So, you see, you make humble pie because the lord of the manor goes out hunting for sport and gives you the deer guts. Now, if you went out hunting in medieval Europe, you got hanged for poaching. So uh, when uh, they got to the backwoods of North America, they said, hey, I've got my gun, I've got my freedom, now just leave me alone. And still yet today, states' rights rules among those people, my people I was born into. Now for poor African Americans, the narrative was very different. The US Army won the freedom and promised 40 acres and a mule. Where is it at? Only the federal government could pay up and fend off white supremacy. And it didn't. Poor Mexicans were saying, hey, you stole a third of Mexico, and now you say I'm a foreigner speaking the wrong language. And the natives uh, were out there saying, hey, you take whatever you want, whenever you want, and you say it's the law, but the law only works one direction, doesn't it? The failure of Americans to talk with each other goes back a very long way. In many ways, it is mutual incomprehension, a chasm that only a few institutions have been able to bridge. Labor unions, a few religious traditions have crossed that gap, but not mainline Protestantism. As I mentioned before, the explosion of Pentecostalism in the early 20th century occurred among the poorest of the poor, African Americans, Latinos, Natives, and poor Euro-Americans. And the most shocking thing to the middle-class Americans at that time were newspaper reports that reported mixing of the races in the churches. I suspect that marketing demographics tell us a lot more truth about where people are in their lives than do the preachers and the politicians. As I said earlier, liberals love the poor and the oppressed, but and the poor and oppressed don't much like liberals. Lojas and that other marketing niche, the long-term poor, well, we just don't talk all that much, do we? That didn't start in 2016. Well, yeah, we're ending 2018, and. It was an ugly year, wasn't it? We'll be listening and reading summaries of what happened in 2018, and that's not gonna be pretty. As you're bombarded with all of that, I invite you to reflect on a worse year, 1942. Uh, how many of you remember 1942? Young folks, talk with these folks a little bit about that. Now, 2018 was better than 1942. Now, in case you don't know, remember your history, the Second World War began for the U.S. in December of 1941. So, January 1942, it, things were looking a little bit grim. 
1942, the Japanese swept across the Pacific, capturing British and American troops and territories one after the other. German tanks swept across North Africa. The Luftwaffe began what has become known as the Bedecker Blitz on Great Britain. We'd call it the Lonely Planet Blitz nowadays. It was bombing specifically to hit cultural targets and civilian targets to create terror in the population. In 1942, the Nazis first opened a brand new kind of concentration camp, the extermination camp. In 1942, here at home, the sale of new cars was stopped to save steel. In 1942, gasoline and food rationing began in the US, and there began to be recipes for horse meat, which most Americans don't really want to eat. In 1942, body parts routinely washed up on Atlantic beaches due to the submarine warfare in the North Atlantic. German submarines controlled the North Atlantic. Japanese submarines openly patrolled off the California coast and occasionally fired on the shore. And in 1942, daylight savings time was invented. <laughs> I know, some things that never go away. And the BBC had to ban the song Deep in the Heart of Texas because munitions workers stopped to listen to the song. Took one for the, for the team there. In 1942, as the reality of food rationing sank in, Mary Frances Kennedy Fisher, better known as MFK Fisher, published my favorite cookbook of all time, titled How to Cook a Wolf. There's a little quote in your order of service today from that. The title derives from that another old saying. Yes, I'm doing old sayings today. It's old sayings week. Uh, it's that saying about barely making it, keeping the wolf from the door, or keeping the wolf at bay. In the book, Fisher proposes one way to keep the wolf away is to cook it up for supper. I think the quote in the order of service this morning well summarizes how she looked at life and what she was saying to people in 1942. Quote, and with our gastronomical growth will come inevitably knowledge and perception of a hundred other things, but mainly of ourselves. Then fate, even tangled as it is with cold wars as well as hot, cannot harm us. End quote. Now Fisher contends that by starting with simple sustenance and working to hone one's cooking skills as well as your own tastes, you can thereby affect your knowledge and perception of a hundred other things. And each of us gains the knowledge and perception, and that knowledge and perception is mainly of ourselves. Self-awareness, which is not a bad idea anytime. And I would say it's not a shabby recipe for the new year. Unlike Julia Child, who was her almost exact contemporary, Fisher did not consider complexity in cooking a virtue. One of the chapter titles of the book is How to Boil Water, which is kind of zen if you stop to think about it. Another chapter is titled How to Distribute Your Virtue. And another one is called How to Be Cheerful Through Starving. Yes. As we slide toward that time when we begin to make resolutions for a new year, 
I think Fisher's advice can be very helpful. Start simple, boil water, and then throw in that wolf that's been circling around the door. As Ms. Fisher wrote, gain knowledge and perception of a hundred other things, but mainly of ourselves. Then fate, even tangled as it is with cold wars as well as hot, cannot harm us. Think about that and be grateful it's not 1942.